the way we educate our, our children today really has to reflect the fluidity of our world. What I might learn today at university might be already completely obsolete, you know, in a few years' time. Um, so if I don't learn how to think, and if I don't learn how to solve problems, if I don't know how to um, ingest new information um, and apply it to uh, solving a task, I will be in deep, deep trouble. In Youth We Trust sits down with successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, educators, and others from around the world. We spotlight how individuals and organizations are shaping a better world directly or indirectly for the coming generations through their focus on sustainability, equity, education, and more to empower young people to create the future they deserve. And now, In Youth We Trust. In today's episode of In Youth We Trust, I talked to Sebastian Peck, a seasoned investor in the fields of sustainable real estate, mobility and education. Sebastian surprises me by taking the perspective of a parent when I talk to him about issues such as AI and sustainability. He also worries about education beginning to look like a car crash in advanced economies such as the UK and Germany and it being neglected, but also candidly acknowledges that industry needs to play a far greater role in empowering young people for the future. Good morning, Sebastian, uh, and welcome to In Youth We Trust podcast. Thank you for joining the show. Good morning, Prashant. It's great to see you again. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we go back a long way and uh, I'm just very excited to have you on the show here uh, because of the work that you've done in so many different areas that we care about, from sustainability to technology to education and lots more. So should we just dive straight into it? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Okay, so look, you know that um, Lumi runs quests where we are exposing young people uh, to the greatest problems that businesses or society faces and then get them to come up with tangible solutions, etc. But if I can go back to your younger self, is there a quest that you would have loved to be on? Yeah, it's sort of, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting question, right? Um, hindsight is a wonderful thing if you go back to your, to your past, I grew up in a, in a in a world that was much much more static than the world we live in today. Right, Every, everything around that feels like uh, it's in constant flux. If I look back to my to my youth, um, my quest would have been to to get a degree, uh, enter a solid career path. Um, and I didn't really think very much beyond it. There wasn't really a notion of what do I want? You know, what do I really care about? Uh, it was much more a question of um, what is expected of me. Uh, and I think this is, for me, an, an absolutely critical shift that has happened. And when I look at the young generation now, uh, I don't think people necessarily ask first what is expected of me. Um, you know, uh, it's much more a question of uh, what do I want out of life? What am I good at? Um, What's there for me to take, um, you know? Um, and I think I think that's a that's a big big mind shift. Now, when you think about the the quest and the the structure, the narrative structure of a quest, the quest is always about obviously 
overcoming a challenge. Um, it's about help us and people who support you. If you think about, you know, a lot of the rings, the fellowship of the ring, you know, and the quest that, uh, uh, that fellowship has to overcome. Uh, it's not just a story of one person, um, meeting a goal. It's, it's very much about, you know, how the people you surround yourself with support you, um, in achieving, uh, the goal of your quest. And I think, I think that is also something I see in the young generation that has become uh, much more part of their their thinking. It's not about you as an individual, it's about your network. Um, and of course they have the tool today, uh, the tools today to um, cultivate that network, exchange information, help each other in their career progression. And so when I look back, you know, that information, that network really wasn't available. There were no blog posts, there were no YouTube videos, you know, there were no how to do uh, things. So I think, I think this generation has a massive privilege um, uh, in the sense that all the information to find your path is out there. All the people who can help you in your quest to find your path um, yeah. and to achieve your, your, your personal goals can help you. Uh, but of course, it also means nothing is predetermined. You have to take initiative. You know, you really have to, to be proactive. Uh, you have to build relationships. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, your time, which is like it's very similar to my when, when I was growing up back in India. Um, but was there a problem around you that you saw that you wanted to get involved with? I mean, there is it's not necessarily the case, but. To be honest, no. I mean, I, I, I was very, um, you know, privileged uh, to grow up in. Uh, in Germany in the sort of 1980s uh, and early 90s. And I think the biggest um, thing that happened in, in the early stages of my sort of, you know, youth was really the fall of the Iron Curtain, um, mm. oh, yeah. um, which of course was momentous from a political perspective. Uh, and of course, I was able to observe what was happening. You know, at the time I was, you know, 14, 15, uh, so re still relatively young, uh, and uh, of course, you know, watched with huge uh, fascination at that, as that sort of you know post post war order uh, broke down. But beyond that, you know, I lived in 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 a, in a sort of you know society of relative affluence of relative order. Um, you know, you didn't have the the sense of chaos, but you also didn't have the visibility. I think this is really, really important. But at the end of the day, your your sort of horizon was limited by the experiences you made. You didn't have that sort of extension of your experiential horizon that you have with the world of social media, you know, the online world today. Yeah, and, and now let's, if you look at today, the young people's lives are entirely different, right? And it raises a question, which I want to, I'm curious to get your perspective on that, that today you not only have an awareness, you also therefore have resulting anxiety, whether it's the rise of AI, which is interesting, or it is climate change. So do you think that it is necessary today to involve these, uh, these, these people either formally or informally in, in these issues? Or do you think that's a distraction? I think, you know, uh, if you look at Instagram, uh, TikTok, 
um, you're continuously um, bombarded with, um, you know, what apparently the good look, the good life looks like, you know, what um, good professional goals look like, what you should be doing. Um, and of course, that can create uh, the sense of missing out. Uh, it can create the sense of, am I good enough? And so I think, I think it creates a, a, a different kind of pressure um, to, the, to the kind of pressure we had certainly as well in terms of meeting, let's say, our parents' ex expectations. In a sense, here, someone else is setting the benchmark. Um, you know, it's a global community of, of people who are creating content. Um, that content finds its way to you. Uh, and of course, it, it, it finds a way to, to kind of structure your perception about yourself and what you should be aspiring to. Um, and depending on, you know, your ability to, to take a step back and really evaluate, is this really what, you know, uh, I should be doing? Is this what I'm seeing real? Um, or is it just something that, uh, is designed to, you know, trigger an emotional response from me. I think, you know, if, if you're able to reflect and step back, I think you might make different choices. By the way, there's empirical evidence, right? I mean, there, there, there's some really, really strong research out now. Um, you know, if you look at the levels of happiness, um, in, in teenagers and in particular girls, you know, it's really, it's really nosedived, uh, over the last, decade or so. And, and that, is, that is quite worrying. That is very true. Yeah. Well, as a father of an 18-year-old, I've been through that journey firsthand. I would say you're luckier in some respect because you've had the first, first cohort of parents like me who have learned their lessons. And I think this is an interesting point because technology, uh, you know, like now the, now the rise of AI, I mean, we, we did a white paper on that where we said, look, it's important to educate young people about AI. Um, because we, and also parents about AI, because if we don't, we're going to end up repeating the entire cycle of what has happened with social media, right? And 10 years later, we'll realize, oh my goodness me, we should have actually educated society about these technologies. How do we do that? Yeah, I think, um, it, it's a very, it's a very topical theme. Uh, you know, you look at the blow up at, uh, open AI, um, and you suddenly realize that um, uh, there's technology in the hands of people who uh, can't even manage to create a governance structure that's really, you know, um, uh, proportionate to um, the impact um, that technology uh, is going to have on the world. And that is that is a little bit frightening. I'm 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 a you know technologist and someone who is very optimistic about progress. Um, I'm also uh, a historian by training. I think it's futile, but I also think it's really, really important um, when a new technology emerges um, to understand it, uh, to shape it, um, to participate in it, uh, and to make sure it does more good than harm. Um, that's really, really important. And AI is clearly, um, a really, really important technology that is going to have a tremendous impact on our economy. Um, the good uh, uh, ways in which that is going to happen is certainly, you know, massive increases in productivity, a lot of, um, you know, relatively uh, linear tasks will be automated. Um, uh, and this is something that humanity has been dreaming about. There's a German 
um, mathematician uh, uh, Leibniz um, who wrote about this, you know, three, four hundred years ago. I'm also not someone who necessarily believes that um, everything is a, is a zero-sum game. Um, so, of course, um, automation and artificial intelligence will invariably re re result in, um, uh, you know, um, uh, certain jobs um, disappearing uh, and never coming back. But if you walk into a factory today um, in a sort of, you know, normal, um, you know, manufacturing company, you typically don't tend to see a lot of people on the shop floor. Uh, it, that doesn't mean that, you know, we have a problem um, with uh, employment. Uh, if anything, you know, we have a massive shortage in many, many uh, parts of the world um, of qualified personnel because um, as technology transforms the economy, new skills are required um, and new tasks need to be done. Um, and so, you know, it is, it is an ever um, uh, changing, uh, but also progressing cycle of new technology transforming our economy and that opening up new opportunities. This episode is brought to you by Lumi.network. We're on a mission to help the next generation prepare to take on the world. Our AI augmented platform runs quests that help 10 to 25 year olds shape their future by developing AI, entrepreneurship, and design thinking skills to solve the most pressing business and social issues. If you or your organization wants to impact the next generation positively, we'd love to talk to you. To learn more, visit lumi.network. You've, you've done a lot of work in education. Um, now you're heavily involved in, uh, in, 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 in all kinds of issues around sustainability. Uh, we met at COP. 28, uh, very recently. So how are you yourselves uh, contributing to solving some of these issues for the next generation? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm obviously in the moment very much uh, focused on, on my daughter, um, uh, who's 10 years old and who's, who's going through, through that journey. Um, so in that sense, you know, in my, in my, in my life, there's, there's a huge emphasis at the moment on getting things right for her. The way we educate our, our children today really has to reflect the fluidity of our world. What I might learn today at university might be already completely obsolete, you know, in a few years' time. Um, so if I don't learn how to think and if I don't learn how to solve problems, if I don't know how to um, ingest new information um, and apply it to uh, solving a task, I will be in deep, deep trouble. That's right, yeah. And and so it's so interesting that you, when I asked the question, you went straight into the shoes of being a parent. So let's now put you into the shoes of being you being the professional. So how are you shaping the future for this coming generation uh, through your work right now? Yeah, for sure. So... Um, I'm, I'm occupying a, a very sort of, you know, privileged and unfortunate situation in the ecosystem I'm a part of, which is, um, the world of the built environment. So, you know, buildings, infrastructure, uh, as well as uh, manufacturing. So producing, producing things, um, you know, churning out industrial goods. 
And there are two big challenges um, that will also have an impact on how this next generation uh, is going to live. Uh, one is um, decarbonizing our economy, um, which is all about making sure you find ways to, to mitigate climate change. Um, and we have a relatively broad investment portfolio uh, of different solutions that are uh, trying to accomplish that task. Um, to give you an example, um, there are three materials which are um, responsible for approximately 25% of CO2 emissions, that's cement, steel, and aluminium. Um, and we've been making investments to decarbonize those, those hard to abate materials. Um, and if we succeed, that will be a huge, will make a huge difference on um, our ability to, to reduce uh, emissions. And that will have obviously a tangible impact on uh, the world. And I'm sorry to drop back to <laughs> my parental uh, mindset, but my daughter will live in, and, and of course her generation will live in. So I'm also indirectly having an impact on you know, how um, the next generations are going to experience their workplace, how they're going to experience professional growth. Um, so, you know, the way, the way or, or the way we operate and, and what we do has certainly uh, quite a, you know, um, tangible impact on, on how future generations will fare. Yeah. And are you directly involving young people in some way in through your portfolio or in you know uh, through through your investments, um, so so not in the sense. Um, of course, I mean we have a team that is uh, uh, I, I would say relatively young, and we invest very often in entrepreneurs who are relatively young. But we don't really um, have a have a process, um, and I think that's really the question you're asking to incorporate the perspective of the young generation. Um, and to, to look at our investments uh, through that lens. We do that for sustainability uh, considerations, whether it's emissions, whether, whether it's societal impact, whether it's um, uh, other factors, but, but not specifically through the lens of, of youth. Uh, it's an interesting suggestion. I haven't really sort of, you know, thought about it uh, in quite that way. But if, if what I've just said is true, then this is definitely something to consider. Yeah, it is beneficial. But of course, at the same time, um, uh, structure is important. And and I think distraction also needs to be considered for both sides, for business as well as for these young people. I mean, today's young people are busy. You know, they're busy also because they've got a lot of social media activity. But even otherwise, you know, the, the pressures on them are quite significant. So... Um, so I'm glad that you are actually, you know, um, thinking, at least now, that there could be a benefit. I certainly have seen that, Sebastian, that, you know, the kind of innovative ideas and lateral problem solving that, that you get from young people often surprises you on topics where you least expect it. It raises another question. Involving young people is one thing. Involving them or preparing for them for this coming um, uh, you know, future uh, equitably is quite another. Do you see that, you know, there's a big divide in how in COP28, for example, they talked about the global north and the global south uh, when it comes to young people? Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> uh, 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 it's completely apparent that um, 
you know, young people um, very often start from very, very different places um, uh, in life. Um, and that isn't only true when you think about the sort of classical, you know, global south versus global north um, divide. I think that's even true within um, regions like Europe and even within countries. You know, uh, you've lived in the UK. Um, you know, there's a, a perennial debate about the state versus the public uh, school system. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the sort of, you know, um, uh, chances or lack thereof um, being participated in one or the other, or the other um, you know, uh, brings with it. And I think that is a massive problem. Um, if you look at some of the Scandinavian countries, they seem to have, of all um, countries, um, you know, done probably the best job in, in building an education system that is um, very inclusive. I don't think you will ever be able to completely level the playing field. But I also think that um, especially the very best at, you know, institutions have an obligation um, to share their insights, their know-how, um, their approach to education um, with those uh, parts of the world um, that probably don't have that know-how um, and are not uh, in a position to, um, you know, to to provide for um, the best education for the broadest number of people. Um, there's something really, really profound here um, that isn't just solved by money. It's also solved by, you know, um, the people who are uh, responsible um, um, at a political level, how they think about and approach um, the way they educate their future elites. I think India is a really fascinating example. In fact, um, education plays a, a massive role uh, in India. Uh, and if you actually look at um, Silicon Valley uh, and a lot of the big tech companies, you know, you have Indian CEOs. Um, that's, uh, that's a really, really striking development. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, the, the quality um, that certainly the, the sort of, you know, best parts of the um, uh, Indian education system, the quality of people that system uh, produces. But India is also a, a classic example of, uh, you know, that that access to opportunity isn't, isn't you know, distributed, um, equitable. Uh, it's interesting, you know, and do you see uh, a greater need for, you know, government, industry and academia to come together? Now, we talk about it. But I really don't haven't seen this. What do you think about that? How can we or you, people like you, support this? Yeah, I, I think that's a completely fair comment. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, just a very specific example. I was actually thinking about um, asking Francisca whether I should give a talk about COP28 um, at her school. Uh, and, um, you know, the experiences uh, I made or whether I should talk uh, to um, to a class about you know, the job I do uh, and why why it matters. I think the, the more fundamental challenge, uh, and i give you a really great example, um, uh, is that um, education needs to be first in people's mindset. Um, and a great example where you see where that has completely sort of, you know, gone wrong is, is Germany. Germany is one of the, the most affluent uh, countries in the world. It's got one of the most powerful economies of the world. It has an absolutely terrible um, education system um, that is regularly among the worst performers. Um, the reason that is, it's because it's completely underinvested. 
um, the resources that should be made available um, are simply not made available. Um, when you look at how the German education system coped during COVID, the inability to basically to use digital technology to um, quickly spin up um, virtual classrooms and to, to, to sort of minimize the disruption um, from, from, from the pandemic. You look at, at England, England has some of uh, the world's finest schools. Um, you know, uh, whether it's Eton, Harrow, you know, uh, Winchester, you name it. Um, it has all the knowledge um, on educational methods um, uh, that you would think uh, it needed to succeed to develop an education system that is as inclusive as possible and churn out some of the best graduates um, in the world and really contributes to, to Britain becoming you know, the preeminent uh, knowledge uh, worker society. Uh, and yet it's a complete and utter uh, failure. Um, so I think um, I completely sympathize um, with the headmaster who says, you know, I want to see more initiative from the government. But I think it goes deeper than that. It goes, it goes deeper in the sense that a society needs to understand its future welfare, its future prosperity, all comes down to education. How interesting. Well, let's move to the future. And, you know, I'm conscious of the time as well. So we started and started to talk in between about AI. Um, tell me when you think about the future uh, from your uh, perspective as a leader in sustainability and someone who's a technologist, what is your wildest prediction about what the world might look like 20 years from now? I can tell you what I hope the world will look like. I'm not, I'm not sure whether um, that is going to play out, but um, I very much hope that, that um, uh, artificial intelligence is vastly accelerating um, our ability to discover materials um, and new scientific approaches to solving topics like climate change. Um, there was a paper published uh, a couple of weeks ago in Nature um, that basically uh, showcased uh, the work that DeepMind uh, had done uh, in applying its AI to um, material uh, discovery. Uh, and I think uh, they unearthed uh, 350,000 possible synthetic materials um, and started to producing some of them. Um, I'm also worried that um, our society will continue to bifurcate, um, that you will have um, um, a elite which is sufficiently educated um, and sufficiently affluent to reap all the benefits uh, of those new technologies. But I also worry that um, this technology will uh, produce um, societies uh, and um, strata within society um, that are really suffering at the hand of this technology in ways that either involve them being controlled, being completely transparent, being manipulated into making choices they probably would otherwise not have made. Um, uh, and I think I think that is something that I find deeply worrying. We see some of the sort of you know precursors of this 
today. We talked about social media. So I think, I think there is a very, very dark side um, that technology uh, enables authoritarianism. Uh, you combine this with a very volatile political environment in which we live today. Um, and the ability to um, undermine and hollow out democratic institutions and democratic controls. Yeah, well, so you've, you've kind of taken me through a journey of being a conscious parent, a conscious investor, someone who actually now um, is not only concerned, but also at the same time contributing to making the world a bit better. Look, it's been a joy, Sebastian, to to talk to you and to get to um, hear about your experiences. A bit more personal in some cases, um, but, but thank you. And uh, all the very best in, um, in, in your journey to try and kind of, first of all, involve young people in what you're doing and, and to actually also shape the built environment, which is contributing 40% of global emissions. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Prashant, for having me. It was a really, really great conversation. Uh, and thank you for, for making me think about these topics uh, as well. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a story or someone you know does, please recommend them to us by email at hello at lumi.network. We'll see you next time on In Youth We Trust.